Please be seated. You have your copy of God's Word with you this morning. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter 18. This morning we will focus upon the first 15 verses. You also find this passage on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a very brief outline of today's passage. In some ways, we have reached a crossroads. This is a a marker point in the life of Abraham. Uh, Chapters 18 and chapter 19 combined um, make a significant milestone in his faith journey, in his life, and in God's call for him to be a blessing to the nations. And we will see overlap uh, from what has gone before us to what is yet to come. Today marks that transition point, and there'll be a lot of comparison and contrasting over the next several sermons. We look back to see the, the ties of this chapter, and we think of the promised son. We think of Isaac, Uh, the one who has been foretold, uh, the one whom Abraham has been promised back in chapter 17. We look forward and we think about the events of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you look all the way back to chapter 14, you will remember these cities were rescued, inadvertently rescued by Abraham, as Lot was caught up in some uh, political schemes, and some nations went to war, and he got taken prisoner, and Abraham went to rescue him and uh, kind of settled a, a national uprising. Well, Lot makes his lot with these people and will suffer the consequences of it. And what will take place this time, it will not be Abraham, but it will be divine intervention that sees him free and safe. But all of this, at the crux of this, at the center of these events is Abraham, his life and what is going on and what, is, what the Lord is doing as well. So to that end, we will uh, read this morning of an interesting um, occurrence, if you will. It almost feels out of place, and yet, because God does not make mistakes and His Word is divine and true, We know it is precisely where it needs to be and what we need this morning. That being said, would you please follow along with me as I read before us the word of the Lord. I will begin in Genesis chapter 18 verse 1 and read through the 15th verse. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of the Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold... Three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought. Wash your feet. Rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. 
Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he answered, No, but you did laugh. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please bow with me as we go to the Lord in prayer, asking his presence to be upon us as he blesses us during this time. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you call us to love as we have been loved, to serve as we have been served, to show mercy as we have been shown mercy. Oh, that that would be our heart, that we would treat all others with the love and kindness that they deserve because love and kindness has been extended to us. Lord, I pray your wisdom and your blessing to be upon us this morning as we reflect upon your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you use in it Use it to awaken our hearts and to draw us closer to you. Lord, would we consider the example and heed the warning this day. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. As children of God, as people who love the Lord and trust in Him, Our motivation for being kind, hospitable, and faithful comes from the fact that God has been kind, hospitable, and grateful, and faithful, and loving, and we could on and on with our adjectives to us, go to the shorter catechism, keep reading through those first ten, we stopped at five, you'll learn some of those characteristics. We know this is true Because if we look at the mission and the ministry of Christ, Christ himself displays before us what a life of obedience to God looks like. And if we consider that and we think about that, what did it look like? Mercy, kindness, love. Not just to those who looked like they deserved it. Not just to those who society deemed worthy. But to those that the world said were unlovable to those that society said didn't deserve it. Christ shows us by his life and by his example a Christian ethic, a moral compass, if you will, on how we should treat others. And Abraham himself this morning gives us 
a example, an example, a, a, a moment, a, a scene in time, met with unexpected visitors during an inconvenient time, he could have responded with dismissiveness. He could have admitted their inconvenience. He could have grumbled and complained. He could have um, shoved them to the side, and yet he did not. He did none of these things. Why? Because this is a man who knows and trusts the Lord. This is a man who has been shaped again and again by trials and by submission to the will of God for his life. This leads him to treat these strangers as honored guests without knowing just how right he was to do so. His actions are contrasted, almost very sharply contrasted. And we get hard um, division here, 1 through 8 and then 9 through 15, by Sarah. And Sarah's response to the news that the visitors came to deliver. And so in our passage this morning, we have a positive example. We have the example of how to treat others. We treat them with mercy and with kindness. And we have a warning. We have a negative example, if you will, of how we should beware temptation and unbelief. And so I want us to consider each of these this morning, first looking at the positive example in this call to treat others with kindness. And let's take just a second, let's, let's put this in its context. It, it does feel a bit out of place, but let's put it where it's happened in the life of Abraham. According to the previous chapter, Abraham is around 99 years old. He's been promised repeatedly by the Lord that he will father a nation of people, a nation of people who will trust in God. They will be heirs of promise, kings and priests, a holy people that have a possession and a land and inheritance that through their being a people of God, other nations would be impacted, affected, changed, transformed. We know that Abraham, eager to receive this promise, sought to, to uh, obtain it for himself uh, through having a child with his servant, Hagar. I mean, he did. He had Ishmael. God promised all of this and said, No, I will give you a son, and I will do so through your wife, Sarah. And so that you know that my promise is sure and true, I will mark you with circumcision. Circumcision will set you apart. All of the men of your household, whether bought or through birth, would be circumcised. Or else, they were to be cast off, cut out of the people of God. And we know um, if you were with us for chapter 17, that Abraham received these truths, that he accepted them and received them by faith. We know this because what does he do? He circumcises all of the men. He himself took the sign of circumcision. He committed himself to obedience to God and with hopeful anticipation of that which was to come. And so... In some ways, one of the questions you may be asking, why then is he told a second time in chapter 18? Why, if 
He's been told in 17. He's received what he's been told in 17. And he's now carrying out that which was told of him in 17. Why does he get another visit um, and has repeated this promise? And the answer lies in that one question that happens in the middle of our passage. Where is your wife, Sarah? You see, God was interested not only in revealing this promise to Abraham, but also in revealing this promise to his wife. This was a promise that was of blessing and should be a cause of joy and of celebration and of eager wonder at how could God do such a thing. And that was so great, it wasn't just for Abraham, but it was also for his wife because she would share in the responsibility of it. If she was to bear children... It would be good for her to know that she would be the mother of this promise. And so 17, if you will, gives us God revealing this to Abraham. And then we get his response and then we get the consequences. 18 then gives us God revealing this to Sarah. And then we get the response and we get the consequences. But throughout all of this, as I've said repeatedly, Um, the life of Abraham really reveals to us the character of God in his life, in his successes and his failures, in his triumphs and in his shortcomings. What we really need to take away from all of that is who our God is, who Abraham's God is. And it's to that end and and with that mindset that we get this, this unusual scene Uh, that is unveiled before us. And we look, and you have to note a few things here. Uh, First, uh, verse 1 is a bit of commentary from Moses. Um, It's not um, the unveiling of the story, if you will. Um, And and I'll explain why here as we go along. But the Lord appeared to him um, by the oaks of the Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Um, Note, um, and you'll have to be careful here. Um, in most of the English translations, uh, the Lord all capitalized, uh, we made note of this before, that's specific to the word Yahweh. And so the God of Abraham came to him. God visited with him. Now, we know that this is commentary and not um, what, Abra- or what Abraham is seeing because of verse 2. He lifted up his eyes, look and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And so from Abraham's perspective, he is visited by three guests. And the text also tells us that they did it in the most inconvenient time of the day possible. How do I know that? Well, it was the heat of the day the hottest part of the day. It was the time of the day where many would seek shade and rest. How do I know that? Because that's what the text tells us. It says, As he sat at the door of the tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked. He was at that part of nodding, of resting off. He's taking a siesta, a practice I really want us to get here in America. I loved I loved this in Mexico. It was phenomenal. He's tired. He's been at work. He's been busy about his business. 
He's enjoying a few minutes of rest, relaxing in the shade, and then immediately guests show up. To, to equivocate this, this is like a visitor Friday evening at your house. Um, you've had activities all week. Your kids have gone here and there. Um, all the things have gone on. You've not had a chance to do that cleaning. We all do when visitors come to pretend that our house is that way all the time. And it's the way it actually is when it's lived in. And then you get a visit from somebody you weren't expecting to come. And you all of a sudden, you look around and you panic in your head. And you're like, I don't know if I want to let them in. Maybe they'll just stay on the porch. That's what's happening here. There's the, there, there's this, that's, that's the scene in your head. And we know how we would respond. Oh, well, could you come back next week? Um, or depending on the person next year. But Abraham doesn't do that, does he? he? He's met with this inconvenient, this untimely visitation from people he does not know. They're strangers as far as he is aware. And yet, he does not treat them as such. He, he, he sees that they have status. Somehow he knows that they're people of significance. Um, he calls them Lord, and there that's not capital L Lord, that's Lord as in Master. Um, that, that's a, a humbling, that's a sign of him placing himself lower than these people. He's saying, oh, lords, please don't leave from my presence. Let me get you water to wash your feet. Let me get you some water to drink. Do not pass by your servant. Let me show you kindness. Let me be merciful to you. A little bit of water. Rest yourself. Come, share my tree. I'll bring just a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. This would have been, in, in one way, culturally appropriate. Uh, th this was a, a appropriate response in, in the near, ancient Near Eastern culture, but it also would have been a high response as well. Um, it would have been okay to do less than this. And yet Abraham, he rolls out the red carpet. Please let me show you kindness. Please let me be merciful to you. He knows they're hot. He knows that they're tired, at least in his mind. It's the heat of the day. They're out wandering. Commentators agree that from this passage and, and from Abraham's interaction, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 13, 2, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby... Some have entertained angels unawares. How we treat others in showing mercy and kindness should always be done in a way that sees the other person as special and important. It's where they are. Why? Because all people have been made in the image of God after His likeness. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We should treat others when that moment comes and, and when all that panic and worry and anxiety gets in our head like, oh no, they're going to see a dirty home. Oh, spoiler alert, theirs is too. We should go out of our way. Welcome them in. Treat them like beloved family members. Abraham teaches us here a beautiful heart mindset. He, he, he really displays before us. This is one of those high moments in the life of Abraham. I know they sometimes feel few and far between, but this is. He's on, he's on his game. He does not seek the bare minimum for his guest. 
He does not overlook them or resent them. Rather, as the text goes on, he even goes above what he said he was going to do. This is a more akin to what happens when the prodigal son returns. Did you kind of get that vibe from what's happening? He runs in the house and he's like, all right, let's make cake. Let's kill the calf. Let's get out um, the curds. Let's make sure we've got some milk. He, he really rolls out the red carpet for these visitors. He even goes above his own word. He, he respects them as if they're lost, long lost members of his own family. Now, practically speaking, how, how, how do we apply this to our lives? Am I saying that anytime someone comes to your door, you should treat them as guests because they may be angels in disguise? Not necessarily. The Bible did, but I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm not necessarily saying that angels are going to come visit you. However, what I am saying, even better, what Jesus would say, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. When you entertain strangers and give food to the hungry and water to the thirsty and you offer comfort to those who are sick and you go and see those who are in prison... Who are you doing it unto? Jesus is very clear. He says, you do these things as if you do them unto me. Abraham gives us here an example of how we should treat others. Why? Because it is is as if we are welcoming in our very Lord and Savior. We should think of others no matter how inconvenient it is, no matter how unwelcome it is. And I actually love this passage for this. It, it, it feels like, a, like a, um, a hard derailing of the life of Abraham. We're going along, we're tracking along, promise, 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 random visitors. But in some ways, that's the point, isn't it? When it comes time to be hospitable, when it comes time to show mercy, when it comes time to um, give or to serve or to sacrifice, does it ever happen when it's on our schedule? Is it ever according to our own plan? Is it ever when it is convenient? Let me, let me ask you this. If we adopt this mindset, if, if we were like Abraham and we said, when someone asks us to come help them move something, or when someone needs help with a meal, or someone needs a babysitter, or whatever it may be. If instead of us saying, I will do it because you asked, I will do it because I'm obligated, what if in our minds we thought of Jesus asking us that very thing? Wouldn't that change how we did it? Wouldn't that change everything? Think about it, the the offering that you just gave. We do give out of obligation. We're commanded to give faithfully unto the Lord a percent of our tithe and our offerings unto him. But what if you did it, and I'm, I want to be careful here theologically, but in, instead of the usher that you just saw walking down, what if it was Jesus holding the plate? Wouldn't that change? At least you'd probably fold the check up a little tighter, what you gave. If it was not your neighbor asking for a hand, doing some work that's going to be not very fun, on the weekend, and you really had something else planned? What if instead of that neighbor that always has the tendency to borrow your tools and never give them back, and you see them when you think of them, and you see, see those tools when you think of that job that they're asking, and you're like, I know they've got all my tools in their garage. 
What if instead of seeing that neighbor when it's asked, you see Jesus? Wouldn't that change how you responded? You see, the, the reality of it is we are called to show, show kindness and mercy to all people. Why? Because it's been shown to us. Because Jesus Christ did the same for us. Jesus Christ loved us when we were yet strangers. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself to us when we had nothing to offer, when we brought nothing to the table, when we were the takers. Here's the, the reality for the life of Abraham. Abraham is simply doing as God has commanded. God said, through you and through your descendants, you will bless the nations. Through your life, through your ministry, through your actions, through your obedience to me, you will affect all peoples. And what do we see him doing here? Treating all peoples the way that God has treated him. You see what happens? When you understand where it comes from, when you understand what has been done, when you understand who it is you serve, it will change how you then do also. Oh, I wish we could stop this passage here because this is like a high point. And we're, yes, amen, way to go, Abraham. You're getting it for now. <laughs> There's some chapters to go. But we can't. Because when that is lacking, when we don't have that mindset and we don't have that perspective and we're not thinking that way, we won't respond that way. And as much as we want to look to Abraham and go, yes and amen, we also have to consider the response of his wife. And as Abraham gives us the positive example of faith, Sarah warns us of unbelief. Our passage makes a hard shift, 1 through 8, and then verse 9. The visitors ask, where is Sarah, your wife? It would have been common for the servants and for the wives to remain behind, to, to stay behind the scenes as the meal was enjoyed. But the intent here is to, to let us know that she needs to hear what is to be said. It also serves as an indicator, and, and I imagine that they're catching on as the, as the passage goes on, that these are no ordinary guests. I mean, really, at this point, you've got to understand something odd is happening. You've got visitors you don't know, you've never met them before, first time ever seeing them, and they just nonchalantly throw out there, where is your wife? One, surprise, how'd you know I had a wife? Two, where is your wife, Sarah? Wait a minute, how do you know my wife's name? Hmm, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? We don't know if they put two and two together yet, but they definitely got to be at a higher alert. And here, under these circumstances, with his wife listening, with Sarah, and, and, and it's important to note that she is present, the promise is reiterated, and the, the heart of this passage is given forth, the purpose of it, so that she would hear, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. We know that this is the desire of their hearts. We know that this is something they've been longing for at this point, 50, 40, 50, 60 years. Again and again in their life, again and again as we zoom into the window of what's going on, what are they wanting? A son, a child, a descendant, an heir. 
We know that this has caused angst and pain and heartache. Even worse, and (laughs) things they don't teach you in seminary and, and, and by God's providence, sometimes you preach the passage that is before you, things I never thought I would utter before. Even worse, it's not just that she wants a child and they can't have one. She has been called the dreaded word, old. Sarah is old. Even more than that, it says she has already gone through menopause. Don't tell you that in exegesis class, but it is biologically true. Mechanically speaking, she is incapable of producing children. It cannot happen biologically. Even worse, and I'll I'll keep it as, as tactful as I can, there's a strong inclination, we know it from her retort, shall I have pleasure from my husband, they're not even having sex anymore. So not only biologically is it not possible, they're not going through the activity to make it possible. The door is closed. You need to understand that mindset. We need to have that in our head. And then hear what the angel, or what the Lord, excuse me, it's, it's the two angels of the Lord and, and the Lord himself just said in front of her, I will be back this time next year and you'll have a kid. That's ludicrous. That's absolutely absurd, right? Like there, there's no way. That is bizarre that that would be the case. You, you want to you wanna sympathize with Sarah here going, well, of course she didn't believe it. That is, and, and we're not sure, unless Abraham's told her what God said. And, and, and we want to be very careful here, but there's one of two ways we can look at this. We know, chapter 17, Abraham has specifically been told that Sarah will give birth to a son and that his name will be Isaac. We also know that a little bit of time has passed, we don't know how much, but Abraham's going to be 100 when he has Isaac. He's 99 now, so we're somewhere in a window. What if he's told her? Well, if Abraham has told her that God said this will happen, she now responds in defiance of God. Yeah, right, God. There is no way. The door is closed. You've made sure of it. It cannot, it will not happen. Almost this like mocking, like, how dare you? And so that's one option. Another option, and I'll admit I'm more inclined to this, mainly because I, I, I feel soft towards Sarah on this. She's not been told. And rather, her response is just one of exhaustion. She's tried for years and years and years and years. Her slave servant gave her husband a son, Surely she had friends, neighbors, other servants that have had children. She's watched them be born. She's probably helped take care of them. She knows that she's getting up in years. She knows from a biological perspective that the time to have children, that window has been closed for her, and it could not be reopened from a worldly standpoint. She's worn out. She's tired. She's beat down. And she laughs 
not as a laughter in the face of God, but in a who could offer such a thing. God could. God could offer such a thing in a way that's miraculous, a way that does not make biological sense, in a way that says, no, you're right, you can't do it, but I can. That's what God wanted Abraham and Sarah to know. And, and let us be clear here, um, this is what's called a theophany, a, a, a pre-incarnate presence of the Lord. Um, if you, again, I told you to mark your shifts here um, with Lord, uh, capital L Lord and, and lowercase L Lord. This is capital L Lord. The Lord said to her, or said to them, she is being spoken to by God himself. But sadly, and, and, and the, the, what we see here, this turns, this moment, this, this temptation, this trial, God says, why did your wife laugh? Why? And instead of admitting her struggles, her hardships, her difficulties, her challenges, instead of admitting that it took place, she lies. I didn't laugh. Probably catching on now that this is not just a visitor and it's most likely heavenly on purpose. I did not. And the Lord very clearly, no, you, you laughed. She lies. She commits sin. James Montgomery Boyce offers a few possible reasons. One, she does not trust that the promises can be fulfilled. Two, they're incapable of producing children from a worldly perspective. Or three, she's embarrassed and seeks to hide her shame before the Lord. Really, we could sum this up with mistrust, a lack of faith. I'll just put it how Calvin puts it. If we investigate the source of distrust, we find the reason is a doubt of God's promises because we sinfully detract from His power. For as soon as any extraordinary difficulty occurs, what God has promised seems fabulous. Yea, the moment He speaks... The thought insinuates itself, how can he fulfill what he has said? When a great challenge comes, we forget the God that we serve. When a great moment of difficulty arises, we forget who we're talking to and who we're talking about. It was beyond Sarah's level of understanding to consider such a God. And yet that's the very God she served. And I want you to think about this as we're wrapping up. We're wrapping up quickly. Think of the cost for Sarah. God forgives her. God is merciful to her. God still provides for them a child. But think of the joy she lost. Think of the anticipation and eagerness and waiting and celebration that she cost herself by her mistrust. Think of what she gave up because she did not believe her God was so big as to do such a thing. This was to be a declaration of celebration, and yet it brought difficulty. If I could offer any points of application for us practically, I would say this. Trust in the Lord. Do not think He is too great, or He's not great enough to do anything that He has set out to do. If God has said it, it will be done. Also, may we show kindness 
and love and hospitality to others because He has done what He said He's going to do. May we care for one another, love one another, comfort one another, watch over one another. Why? Because He does keep His promises, because He is faithful, and because He does go above and beyond in all that He has said, all that He has promised. And be very careful of mistrust, of doubt, or worry, for it may rob you of the very joy the Lord is seeking to provide for you in this season of life. May we do all of this out of the great love in which we have been loved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may that prepare us for what is ahead. For this isn't the end of this account. Like I said, we'll march on toward the end of this chapter and on chapter 19 and know that this is preparing them, particularly Abraham, for something even greater. Would you please bow with me as we close in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, and I pray that you have been glorified this day and your people have been edified by your passage, your word, which is true and good. Lord, if there are difficulties, challenges from this passage, I pray that by your Spirit you would reveal its truth to us. If I've said anything that's not true, would you cast it from our people's minds? Lord, we need your truth, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And oh, Father, we're so quick to mistrust, to think you too small a God, to think that it couldn't be so. And yet, would we be reminded in this passage today that you are a great God, and you do great things for your people, ultimately for your glory, which continue to prepare us into your people as you've called us to be through the power of Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit, by your ordained plan. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.